0: We meet each Sunday to let the liturgy shape us, to hear preaching, and to take the Lord's Supper. And these acts are more robust when done together. Join us Sunday evenings at 5 p.m. in downtown Winston-Salem at 600 Holly Avenue. I'm Laura, and tonight I'll be reading scripture from Acts 8. 26 through 40. So I'll give you a moment to turn there. Again, that's Acts chapter 8, verses 26 through 40. Please stand if you're able for the reading of God's word. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go to the south, to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza and the eunuch said, See, here's water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop. And they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away. And the eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at, uh, it, uh, well, Philip found himself at, at Zototus. And as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. This is the word of God for the people of God. Be
1: to God. Uh, good evening. My name is Ben Milner, one of the pastors here, and we are looking at the Acts of the Apostles, uh, otherwise known as the Acts of Jesus, the Ascended Jesus, uh, who at the very beginning of the Book of Acts. Uh, enters in through the portal and goes to the upside down, and from that place rules over the world. Um, He is now on the other side of just the thin membrane of the visible. On that other side is the entire invisible realm that we cannot detect for the most part most of the time, although Philip does in this passage a few times when the angel kind of comes through. Uh, But when Jesus rose uh, and, and ascended to the right hand of the Father, he is now ruling the whole world. Um, from the invisible realm. And he has authority over everything. The the human being, Jesus, who died on the cross and then rose, that person is now, uh, according to Christians, the king of the world. And the church, we are witnesses to his unique kind of reign, his unique kind of um, leadership, his administration. Um, You you could compare it to like a coach, where if you, you have a team like Wake Forest that switched from Danny Manning to Steve Forbes. And uh, Danny Manning was knew a lot about basketball. He's a great man, but uh, he didn't have a lot of like hugs, uh, tears. Um, he was kind of stoic. Um, he didn't seem to know the players very personally. Um, you know, I rarely saw a lot of warmth of affection. Uh, there was kind of a standoffish nature to him, and a lot of his players transferred. Whereas Steve Forbes apparently has the players over his house all the time. Uh, they have refrigerator rights. Uh, they watch movies there all the time. They can come over any time at all. Uh, He often hugs them, uh, they'll cry and embrace at times, and they just clearly love him. And this is one of the things about the reign of Jesus, is that the story of Philip and the Ethiopian shows there is so much intimacy, personal connection in the way that he rules the world. So uh, he is not that distant kind of stoic God that we sometimes imagine him to be. Uh, He interacts with us like he interacts with Philip in this passage. Philip is actually up in Samaria when the angel of the Lord talks to him and says, go. And Philip is doing amazing things up there. He is healing. Uh, He's preaching the gospel. There are large crowds coming to know Christ through Philip. And then the spirit comes and says, well, actually, this says the angel of the Lord. It says later the spirit of the Lord, which is interesting in itself, is that you have these different persons of the Godhead interacting with him. Um, But the, the, the first thing says that the angel of the Lord, the messenger of the Lord, uh, came to him and he says, OK, stop doing what you're doing in Samaria, even though there's a ton of stuff happening up here. And I want you to go south and I'm going I'm to have one person down there, just one person, uh, a person that can't have any children nonetheless. And that person is going to be the person that you're going to travel 70 miles into the desert to meet. And that just shows how intimately and individually and personally God knows every one of us and comes after every one of us. So I want to look at first uh, the witness to God's reign, to the reign of Jesus Christ through the intimacy with Philip. I want to look at the way he interacts with Philip. And then to this man, this Ethiopian eunuch who doesn't have intimacy. He's not named. He is anonymous. He has no name, which in Greek literally means a no name. Uh, he has no inheritance, there's no offspring. He will not be able to have any kind of um, lineage after him. And to this man who has no name and who's longing for intimacy, God gives the intimacy that he gave to Philip, to the eunuch. So that's how, that's how I want to end it, the second part of the eunuch. So first, verse 26, the angel says to Philip, go south on the road from Jerusalem to Gaza. That'd be like I-85 to Charlotte and Atlanta. It's kind of It ran that way. And he doesn't say, uh, go to this particular mile marker, or uh, go to this mile marker, look for this chariot, run over the chariot, hop on the chariot, ask the guy what he's reading, and make sure you're preparing your Isaiah notes. He doesn't do that. He says, go down to Gaza. Just one instruction at a time. And uh, I've said this before, it reminds me of a Mission Impossible, the way that um, Ethan Hunt will just suddenly get a very short message. And then, you know, this is your mission should you choose to accept it. And so Philip is just given one little mission. Go south on 85. That's all he's given. And he is not told the entire adventure, which is an important part of the Lord's relationship with us. He doesn't tell us everything that's going to happen. He's just telling us one thing at a time. And that maintains that personal intimacy with the Lord. There's always this adventure in working for the king. Because Jesus the king was a man who experienced a lot of adventure. Um, and so he tells Philip uh, not only go south towards this desert place. But it's very unlikely that anyone's going to be there. Because it is a desert. Verse 26. Verse 26. It's not likely there's going to be any person there. there's not likely there's going to be any water there because it is a desert place. It is a barren place. There's no life down there. And the eunuch and the lifelessness in the desert all kind of come together. So that's part of the adventure is that the Lord often tells us to do things that don't make any sense, that are very counterintuitive. Like go to a desert, leave this incredible uh, revival that's going on up in Samaria and go down to the desert. And he doesn't know what's going to happen down there. And if you tracked like on Find My Friends, you know, and you had uh, Philip walking slowly down, well, then the chariot's coming down a different road faster. So Philip's coming down, the chariot's coming down faster, and the Lord coordinates it so they meet right at that point, at this perfect point on the road to Gaza. So the spirit is always coordinating our path constantly. And having these encounters, these divine encounters where we meet with people. And we, it's not as dramatic as this, you know, nobody's going to say, uh, be reading the book of Isaiah and ask you how to interpret what they're reading. That's very rare that that's happened to me. But you're going to be put on these adventures where God is telling you to do certain things. And you're not going to know why. Because as he goes down to the desert place, it says in verse 27, and behold, there was an Ethiopian in a chariot. Like, who knew that there would be an Ethiopian in a chariot? I, mean, I don't know what Philip was expecting, but it was very surprising that there would be an Ethiopian in a chariot. And even more surprising, verse 26, is he was reading the prophet Isaiah. So uh, what are the chances that you would meet an Ethiopian in a chariot that is a, uh, a God-fear, uh, proselyte Jew, and he's reading the Bible? I mean, this is just incredibly unlikely. And uh, back back then they read things out loud, by the way. So that's how he knew he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And uh, the spirit says in verse 29, first it was the angel of the Lord, now it's the spirit. The spirit says, I want you to go over. I mean, it must have been a little bit in the distance. And I want you to go over to that chariot. And Philip's probably thinking, that's probably what I should do. You know, It's not like a lot of other things to do in the desert. But the spirit says, go over and join this chariot. And so I can imagine Philip like beginning to run to catch the chariot. And then he's like shouting out of breath. Do you know what you're reading? You know, he's asking the guy. uh, And then at some point he's like, can I get up on that chariot and talk to you? Because this is kind of hard running like this. And so in verse 31, it says he invited uh, Philip to come and sit with him. And then uh, Philip, like any good witness to the king, uh, he starts asking questions starts asking the guy questions, which is, which is a, a big part of what we're tasked to do, is to ask people questions, to be curious about their lives and ask questions. A lot of Americans uh, say they're spiritual, uh, but not religious. And a lot of Americans say that they believe God is like uh, some kind of energy field. Uh, or maybe like they'll call God the universe. The universe said this or that or the other to me. And there's something that they're avoiding there. There's probably a lot of pain in their past. A lot of ex-Christians who are deconstructing their faith kind of go that direction. But Jesus is not like the force. I mean, I love Star Wars, and I love the idea of what the force is, but Jesus is not the force. And we don't worship the force. And the force doesn't talk to anybody. And the force doesn't have a face. And Jesus is this person who is always communicating with us. Now, I've never heard him audibly. Some of you might have. I have not. But... It's like a, a rider and a horse, a very intelligent horse with a rider where the rider can literally make like a movement of their eyes and the horse will do what the rider says. Or maybe even just like um, a tone of voice and the horse knows. And so we respond to the Father, Son and Holy Spirit in a way that's like that rider with that horse, where there's communic- there's real communication going on. I mean, think about you build Legos with children And you don't say, like, here's the instruction book and here are the Legos and I'll just sit here and watch you build the Lego. It's more like, um, what if we added this block here or took away this one here? It's like this long personal adventure with the child. And that's how God is always interacting with us. Every store you enter and every turn you take and every stoplight you hit and every person you meet and every text you get and phone call, these are not random accidents. These are not meaningless events as we are so often prone to believe. I'm telling you that they are part of a personal interaction with an omnipotent God. And that is the good news that the the intimacy that Philip has with Jesus is available to you. And Presbyterians don't live this way. Not enough. Uh, We're so we're called the frozen chosen for a reason because we tend to think that uh, Jesus has kind of put the church on cruise control And he got it going and then he hits the cruise control. And now from 100 AD, you know, back then, yeah, he talked to Philip and Peter and he did all these amazing things. But now, starting with the closing of the canon, he's put it on cruise control and he doesn't really talk to us anymore. And that is not true. And I want you to believe that there is that possibility. I remember when I had just become a Christian, I read C.S. Lewis's Mere Christianity. And it uh, it was very much, it was in many ways an intellectual experience for me. Very powerful experience, and there were emotions involved. But I remember when I met um, this this woman uh, who um, was one of the uh, young life leaders for the region, and I met her, um, and she started talking about the Lord said this to me today, and He led me. The Lord led me to do this, and I was thinking, uh, "What are you talking about? Like, you're, this is crazy stuff. This, these are coincidences that you're interpreting." In this kind of weird religious way. And I had already become a Christian. And I was thinking that about her. And I love it now when people say things like, the Lord told me to do this. Or the Lord um, uh, spoke to me today when I was reading his word. Those are great things to say. That's the way we should live. That's not embarrassing. That's wonderful. That's what God offers us. That's part of the reason that Jesus was crucified He says in John 15, 15, I am no longer calling you servants. I'm calling you friends because you know my business. And it's a personal relationship. And so, ask to hear him. You know, listen for him. When you're listening to a song, uh, listen for his voice in that song. Or in nature, if you're looking at mountains. Or if if you're reading scripture, like the Ethiopian was reading scripture. Uh, And Philip knew knew this reign of this intimate lord who though although he was all powerful and still is and he is completely in control of everything yet he has this very deep personal relationship with Philip so that's 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 the first point that Philip has that witness of a intimate relationship with Christ and if somebody meets you and you're talking that way to the lord they might think you're crazy but it but it does challenge them i promise you it does it makes them think because it's it's a witness It's like a flare, like a fireworks display of there's something out there. There's somebody up there and he talks and we listen. Now, the eunuch is, again, like I said, that's literally no name in Greek, eunuch. Uh, He has no family. He has no wife. He has no children. He can't. But in this four hour encounter or whatever it is, we see that the intimacy that the Lord had with Philip is given to the eunuch. And that's the thing I love most about this passage is the way that you see that transfer of intimacy to this poor guy who is looking. uh, He still has not found what he's looking for. You know, he is looking so hard for the Lord and he has not yet found the Lord. So verse 27, uh, this mysterious eunuch who I think Luke intentionally does not name for the reason I'm saying that Luke wants you to feel the, um, the drama of it. He is a court official of the Queen of Ethiopia. Verse twenty-seven. A powerful, wealthy nation at that time, and he is in charge of all her treasure. So it's like Janet Yeldon, right? He, this this guy is—he's uh, the secretary of the treasury. He is on the cabinet. Um, and in the ancient Near East, they would take really, really smart kids with uh, you know highly HAG HAG kids in the ancient Near East that were really, really, really good, they would take them, they would bring them into the court, and they would make them eunuchs, they would castrate them. And the reason they would do that is because if that child grew too powerful and could have children, then um, they could actually take over, they could revolt, and they could start their own dynasty because they had a lineage. But if they're eunuch, there's no danger there, there's no risk. So they basically made them so they could never get married, Never have children, never have a dynasty, never have any lineage at all. So this guy, this eunuch, has just fabulous wealth and power. He was like one of the most powerful people in the whole country of Ethiopia. Just a very powerful nation. Uh, fabulous wealth. He probably overlooked the Nile, uh, his apartment. Uh, he, was, he had his own chariot. There was a servant. He was not driving that chariot because he was reading. So he was not driving the chariot. He had a servant- that uh, was willing to take him all the way up to Jerusalem for really no reason at all that mattered. He was going to a, a religious festival and he had a copy of the prophet Isaiah. And back then it was not like um, you didn't have it on your iPhone or like a little paper Bible. It meant you had the whole scroll and they cost a ton of money because they were handwritten. You know, even a synagogue might not have all the scrolls. This guy has the scroll of Isaiah, the whole thing. And that's probably the only scroll he has and For some reason, he loves Isaiah, which we'll get to later. But this guy is very wealthy, very powerful. He can kind of do whatever he wants to do, and yet he's absolutely miserable. Because family was everything in the ancient Near East. Family was everything. So he he is desperate for intimacy, for an identity, and for a name. He wants a name more than anything that he never thinks he'll have. And the reason that he's reading Isaiah 53 is because it says in verse 33, in humiliation, the servant was denied justice, just like the eunuch. And by the way, this is all about this mysterious suffering servant figure. So the eunuch's reading about this servant, this mysterious servant, who's clearly a man of enormous, enormous pain, kind of like him. Who can describe his generation? Why do you think he was reading that? Because it resonated so deeply with his own pain. Who can describe his generation? His name was taken away from the earth, so he is like pouring over this little passage. I mean, there were probably it was like dog-eared that section because he was always going back to that, almost obsessively. He's obsessed with a suffering servant. Who who is this guy that gets me so well? I heard an interview with the guy who was the uh, manager for the He Gets Us ad campaign. And uh, I mentioned one of those uh, commercials in the sermon last week. But the whole point of the He Gets Us campaign is that that Jesus is the type of person that gets you. He understands you, He knows your pain. And that's exactly what's going on here. Um, He is obsessed with this mysterious figure in Isaiah, and he doesn't know who it is. And he thinks it might be Isaiah. And right when he is thinking about this, this is forefront on his mind. He's reading this out loud. And the chariot driver is probably sick of hearing it. But he's reading it out loud. And right when he's asking this question about Isaiah, out loud. Guess who shows up but an Isaiah expert. Uh, Someone who knows Isaiah very, very well. He knows it so well that when Philip brings up the passage... Uh, I'm I'm sorry, when the eunuch brings up the passage, Philip can take that passage and and explain how that links to Jesus. So he must have known the book of Isaiah like the back of his hand because he was not carrying a Bible, I can promise you. So the eunuch asks in verse 34, who is Isaiah talking about, himself or somebody else? And Philip says, funny you would ask that because I actually met that man like a month ago. Because Philip was a Greek-speaking Jew. He didn't know anything about Jesus until he met him in Jerusalem. And so Philip's like, I cannot believe this guy is asking me who this person is. And the eunuch's like, I can't believe this guy knows who I'm talking about. And so it says in verse 35, beginning with Isaiah, he told him the good news about Jesus. And I think he knew how specifically good that was for the eunuch. And I imagine that he went right for that part of the good news. Because I'm sure that at some point, and I think probably at the end of his little sermon. I would love to hear the sermon. But he probably quoted Isaiah 56.3. And that's just three chapters later. But listen to this. This is absolutely amazing. Uh, In Isaiah 56.3... It says, I'm not making this up. It says, let not the eunuch say, I am nothing but a barren tree. Now, that's good news for the eunuch. That Isaiah is promising specifically the eunuch. Let not the eunuch say, I am nothing but a barren tree. This guy was saying, I am nothing but a barren tree all his life. And at that point, he starts to realize how intimately present Jesus is. Because... Not only does he understand his pain, as he always knew, but he knew that at that very moment, he needed that passage and that man to run up beside him. So it is hitting him from all angles that this moment is like a moment where God is breaking into my life. And all these things are happening together. And it's giving him hope. Let not the eunuch say, I am nothing but a barren tree. And then it gets even better. It goes on to say in Isaiah 56, 3, Uh, They shall receive from me something better than sons and daughters. They will receive an everlasting name, imperishable for all time. His greatest hope. And Isaiah is saying, you're going to find that in the Messiah. You're going to find a name that is everlasting and imperishable. Better than sons and daughters is going to be given to you. And the eunuch is so excited that he's like, there's some water over there. Can I be baptized right now? And Philip's like, how do you think about baptism? <laughs> he's like, it's just uh, this beautiful thing where um, all like in a desert there would be water. What are the chances of that at that very moment? And he wants to be baptized. So verse 36, look, here's water. What prevents me from being baptized? And baptism uh, is actually how you enter into the family of God. It is the, um, this meal, which we're going to take in just a moment, is how you maintain your covenant uh, relationships in the family of God. It maintains that every week. But baptism is how you get into the family of Christ and his spiritual brothers and sisters. And so it says in verse 38, they went down into the water and he baptized him and they came up out of the water. And uh, because it's a desert, these are called wadis, W-A-D-I. They're very shallow. And most of the year, they don't have any water. But in the rainy seasons, they might have water. And this wadi is there, and it's probably about that deep, if not less, than knee deep. So he didn't dunk him, because you can't dunk somebody in the wadi. So he probably took this huge amount of water and poured it over his head. He probably had him on his knees, and he poured it. So when it says he went down into the water, they walked down into the wadi in that shallow stream of water and he baptized him and they came up out of the water. And it's just like the death and the resurrection of Christ. So he is joining Christ in his death and his resurrection. Romans 4, 6:4 uh, says we were buried with Jesus through baptism so that just as Christ was raised from the dead, we too might have new life in him. So it's down into the water up out of the water you're dying and rising with Christ the intimacy is like unbelievable that you're you're tying into the messiah's actual life of death and resurrection and so if you fear being single forever and lonely or not having children or something like that Jesus says to you I will walk down with you into those deepest fears and I will meet you there in loneliness and namelessness Because he was cut off. You know, he had no children. Uh, Justice was denied him. So he he will walk with you down into that and sit with you there. And he says, I will walk with you back up into resurrection life with me and my brothers and sisters in the church. And this man, uh, this Ethiopian eunuch, actually went down to Ethiopia and must have converted the entire cabinet the Queen because Ethiopia was the Christ, the first Christian nation in the history of the world so uh, that's descendants beyond sons and daughters um, I love this pastor Sam Alberry um, he's a Church of England pastor and now he moved to um, I think it's Nashville Tennessee and he's a pastor in Nashville but uh, he um, he is a British uh, Anglican priest or at least was for the majority of his life and I listening to a podcast with him interviewed. And he was saying that he was talking to a man, um, a man who was gay and married. This man um, had just become a Christian. This man he was talking to. And uh, he confessed to uh, Sam Albury. He said, now that I'm a Christian, I actually feel convicted by the spirit that I need to end the marriage. Like, I feel like God is leading me to do that. But I am scared to death. Of being alone. And uh, and I don't know if I can go through with this. And Alberry is actually also gay. And he's celibate. And he said to this man, let our little church be your new family. And he said that when he said that, he took like a deep gulp. Because he wasn't really sure if that was true. But he said to the man, if you can't find... All the intimacy that you're looking for in our church, then our church is not worthy of its name. Because that is what Christ came to form. A church that could be a family, that could be that deep a family, where actually water is thicker than blood. The water of baptism is thicker than blood. And we know that Jesus left his family, was Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Son left the Father, was never married. Had no children, lost a lost his good name. He was crucified as an anonymous criminal. Two four six zero one. You know, he was crucified as an anonymous no name. And it says in verse thirty three, in humiliation, his life was taken away. Was he was shamed? He was embarrassed. But he he went through all of that to meet us in our pain. And to give us a new name, an everlasting name, that is imperishable for all time. So no more loneliness. No more anonymity. Never alone.
0: We love these rascals.